Happy Friday, one and all. I'm glad you're back. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving. I want to talk a little bit about some of my Thanksgiving shenanigans. Had a lot of fun there. Uh, I hope you did as well. But real quickly, we're going to jump into um, what I think is the biggest story of this week um, as far as future-reaching ramifications. And that's CNN's reporting there's leaked documents showing that China knew about COVID-19 long before they obviously did anything about it publicly and long before they told the rest of the world. I don't know if anybody's exactly shocked there, but I would like to get into a little bit of the hypocrisy that that exposed. We are, of course, still going through some election disputing. Key battleground states are still, uh, obviously, they've been called by the major uh, news organizations. The transition team has already called it for Biden, but there are still disputes and court cases going on. So we'll touch base on a lot of that. And then I do want to also mention how the Democrats feel about the Dominion voting systems. Uh, This is, of course, the Dominion voting machines that people use to cast their ballots. Uh, There's a very sharp contrast between what they're saying now versus what they said in 2016. So that one's going to be fun. Uh, If you don't follow them, you should. Black Lives Matter. uh, D.C. is the one that I chose to follow just, of course, because of their location. That is a small, local, grassroots chapter of Black Lives Matter. And they've got a little bit of a beef with Black Lives Matter International and how they're handling the funds that have been, air quotes, donated to Black Lives Matter. And then I want to talk to you just a little bit about the truth um, and what we can hope for, what we can expect and pray for leading into 2021 and what I believe should be the driving force behind any political discussion in today's political climate. So with that, let's get into it. This is episode nine of the Point B podcast. So of course, before we get into the nitty gritty of today's Friday debrief, I've, I've got to give a shout out to Black Rifle Coffee. I'll do it very quickly. Uh, there's no promo code. I just want you, I want to urge you to go to blackriflecoffee.com and check out their coffee. Maybe give it a, a test run, buy some of their Just Black. If you're not a real big coffee drinker, get the pre-ground. It's it's still f- very fresh coffee, fresher than you're going to get off the shelf. But you can feel comfortable knowing that you're you're buying from a brand that was, one, started by veterans. Two, it is still run and owned and operated by veterans. And three... They make a very concerted effort to hire United States military veterans, and it's great. On top of that, what they do with um, a portion of the proceeds from the the sales of their coffee is they give back to small, effective um, law enforcement groups, veteran groups, and first responder groups. One um, that I know of immediately is just up the road from me. It's called um, Warrior's Heart. And one of their executives at Black Rifle Coffee is very close with the people there at Warrior's Heart. And that that specific foundation, Warrior's Heart, um, they help with uh, veterans that are just in, kind of in crisis. They, it's a, like a retreat center where they can go and they can have whatever type of activities they're, they're putting on for the veterans on any given day. But I, I have heard nothing but amazing things about Warrior's Heart and the fact that Black Rifle Coffee has a an exclusive roast that benefits Warrior's Heart is just amazing to me. It says a lot about their character. So if you like coffee, they're a great coffee company. If you enjoy coffee, they're a phenomenal coffee company. And if you like buying good products from a brand that does good things with their profits, Black Raffle Coffee is the company for you. So check them out, blackrafflecoffee.com. Hopefully in the future, depending on how uh, much you like my show and you spread the message, um, I'd love to have a promo code from them. I'm working on some other sponsors, but um, that's that's down the road for right now. We're doing it for free and we're doing it just for the fun of it. So uh, blackrifflecoffee.com, if you like the coffee, check out their subscription. Uh, they got a monthly or you can do bi-monthly. I do, I do bi-monthly of my favorite roasts and and just really dive into it just kind of become a little bit of a coffee snob it's it's a fun world to be in it's a fun club we're working on t-shirts we don't have buttons yet but uh, we we do have a secret handshake so um, you'll you have that to look forward to uh but now let's let's get into the topics this was a it was an insane week one because i had so much news to 
cycle through and decide because we had two weeks essentially of, of the of news cycle and of course there's so much news that loves to happen right on the holiday weekends almost as if by, as if by design and so there's a lot I want to talk about there's a lot I won't have time to talk about but I will do my best to put some articles and links in the show notes for some stuff that you can check out and um yeah so no more rambling. Let's get into it. First topic, of course, is what I believe to be the biggest um, news article or news story um, of the past couple of weeks is uh, the CNN leaked documents showing that China knew about COVID-19. And uh, nobody's really surprised about this, I don't think. Um, maybe people on the left are. I don't know. Because it's funny, earlier in the year, of course, when Donald Trump was still the reigning champ of the White House, um, they weren't too gung-ho about the whole idea that China knew about this and that really much of the blame should be laid at China's feet versus Donald Trump's feet. You know, it, I think a lot of people on the left are surprised that Donald Trump wasn't uh, buying infected Chinese bats wholesale and just dumping them on American streets or something. It, it's, it's amazing that so many people are just really quick to blame largely ineffective politicians for world catastrophes to me it doesn't really show a whole lot of uh, intellectual curiosity um but that's that's my opinion <laughs> that's not what cnn is saying obviously cnn um actually ran many stories jake tapper gave many um uh, i don't know what you want to call it broadcasts about he devoted a lot of time to the the blame being placed on Donald Trump for COVID nineteen and his handling of it. Even though we've said it on the show, you've I'm sure you've heard it if you've watched any sort of right leaning any Fox News pre November third, um, you saw plenty of Donald Trump saying, "Look, I was blocking travel from foreign countries while Nancy Pelosi was urging people to go maskless to Chinatown." And to this day, you've got Democrat and Republican, but Democrats are the ones who are you know very pro mask, um, pro mask mandate. That's a very important extinction, uh, distinction. Um, but you had Newsom of California out there having lunch, four hundred something dollar plates with his buddies, all without masks, all inside. There's there's so much of this is this hypocrisy, and so you have to at least acknowledge the the attempt to use COVID-19 as a political weapon by those in political power. Now, there are people like me, people like you, I'm sure, who see COVID-19 as a health threat that it is. Um, I think Donald Trump referred to it many times as an invisible enemy that we are at war with. Um, so nobody really is doubting the severity of COVID-19, and that is probably the most fascinating detail for me. When it comes to the discussion of COVID-19, we've allowed ourselves as a public to be herded like obedient little sheep into these little pins where over here on the left, it's COVID-19 is serious. You should wear a mask. People are dying. You know, was it like one point something million people have died now globally? Um, it's, it's a serious matter. And then those people over there believe that there's this other pin full of people on the right who believe that COVID-19 is just a myth. Yes, obviously. There are people on both sides who are just, I, I would argue, um, stupid, who believe that COVID-19 is just manufactured, that it doesn't exist, that nobody's really dying from it or whatever. The conspiracy theorists are there no matter what. I mean, if Donald Trump came out and said that his favorite type of dog is, I don't know, German Shepherd, then there would be conspiracy theories about that. Oh, he's in league with the Germans or whatever the hell. So you have to set those aside. You can't allow yourself to be herded into this mentality that that describes the majority of your opposing political viewpoint because it's just not true. I, I got into a discussion with somebody who's a friend of a friend. Somebody was attacking one of my friends on Facebook and saying that, you know, well, whatever, I'm not going to just read my Facebook timeline to you, but in essence, he and I ended up kind of going back and forth because he was assuming so much about me because I was not a hater of Donald Trump. Um, not as, I still don't consider myself a supporter of Donald Trump. Didn't vote for him in 2016. I did because he was definitely the lesser of two evils, and he had proven himself on certain political positions that I needed him to assert himself on. 
and he did well in those areas, personally speaking. So I did vote for him in 2020. I would prefer somebody, obviously, who's more eloquent in their speech, but I think Donald Trump did the job he was sent to Washington to do. Um, maybe not the way I would have done it, but you know, I don't have my name on towers either. But something that he brought up to me was that, oh, I bet you're just one of these right-wingers who refuses to wear a mask because it's me and it's my body, but you're anti-abortion. you know. And, and, and to me, abortion is a completely different discussion, but his assumption that because I didn't hate Donald Trump, that I, th- I believed in these ridiculous viewpoints of, well, I'm never going to wear a mask, damn whoever dies because of it, uh, COVID-19 is fake, it's not a big deal. Like I, I, I had to tell him, listen, I've seen immediate family members, including my mom, maybe, what, I think I've seen my mom once or twice since New Year's. It's going on a year where, and this, my family's all here locally and around me. We're used to seeing each other, you know, at least monthly going out for dinner or something. And at least for the holidays, but not being able to see my family, I don't, I'm not laughing off COVID-19. I do believe that it has been sensationalized to the point where there's the far, far left that blames everything COVID-19 on Donald Trump. And that leads me back to the topic I originally started at. Um, And then there's the other extreme where it's COVID-19 is a myth. And to, to try to make the case that there is that half of the country essentially is at one extreme. We're not there yet. People we're not to the point where, where we are really sharply divided. I believe we are, Politically speaking, yes, because we've allowed ourselves to be herded into this two-party system that requires us to carry the banner for our political party. Um, And then also the the further left the left goes, well, the further right the right seems, right? Um, Right? (laughs) Uh, and And I believe that there is a lot of truth to that because conservatives seem way more radically air quotes right or conservative the more the progressive mentality progresses towards their progression um yeah i don't think it's a very difficult thing to understand um so bringing that back to the COVID 19 and the that now we know china knew about it um well not that now we know now CNN is willing to admit just like we had a vaccine on magically on what November 6th or whatever it was. Um, it to me just displays illustrates highlights the political games that are being played within our mainstream news cycle. And it's really disheartening because it's, there's so many people who still believe that there there's this journalistic monolith that cares about the American people versus their own ratings. They're scrambling. They're freaking out right now because cable news is dying and they're doing everything they can to stay relevant right now. And that doesn't lend itself to good reporting. That lends itself to sensationalism. That lends itself to really everything that they hate about Donald Trump. And the fact that if Donald Trump brings it up now, it's in the news cycle. They hate that about him, that they have to report on these things that he tweets because he is who he is. Well, they're, they're, they're taking a page from that playbook and they're, they're reporting on things in a certain way to make sure that the people who might believe CNN, that they think the other side of the aisle is are just these nut jobs. And it, it's just not the case. Um, so bringing that, how is that relevant to you today? I believe it's important in the sense that China I mean, we haven't seen if they did it on purpose yet, but they, what they did do on purpose is they kept the truth from the world. And had that not happened, I think we'd be in a much different situation right now. Um, so going forward, what that means is you, you got to start seeing what, what side of the political worldwide political spectrum that these political leaders who are now about to take office, where are they coming from? And we know that, well, of course, Biden, um, via his son are very involved with the Chinese government. They've received money from the Chinese bank for investments. Um, so they are 
if you think Donald Trump's going to be favorable to to one political or one world power because the, you know he has some debt over in whatever country it is, if you're willing to believe that, you've got to believe that somebody who has made Biden indirectly very rich, very wealthy through the opportunities presented to his family members, whether that's legal or ethical or not, that's not what I'm saying. That's it's a fact. Um, you got a question, man, you know, what's Biden going to do? What's, what kind of position is he going to take on China? Is he going to hold them accountable to essentially their responsibility the, the, to the, whatever level they really were responsible for the death of millions of people? Or I guess it's what over a million now. Um, but the hardship of millions and millions of people. So we'll, we'll leave it at that. We'll see what happens from it. Um, I'm glad CNN did report it. I wish they had acknowledged what we all knew back in March much earlier. But of course, sadly, a lot of news comes out November 4th. And that leads us to the, the current state of the election. Um, there's there's still a lot of war gaming going on. There's a lot of court processes going through. You're, I see a lot of articles, a lot of articles that another of Donald Trump's court cases got thrown out, whatever got thrown out of a, a, I think the last one I saw was Wisconsin Supreme Court, wouldn't see it. So, I mean, we're still where we've been in that these states are either going to look at it or they're not. Ultimately, it's going to end up in the federal Supreme Court of the United States. And that's where decision making is going to happen. But still, right now, Biden has not been confirmed. The Electoral College has not cast their votes, no matter what you want to happen or what you expect to happen. Nothing has happened yet. And so we have to approach every single dispute about the election from the standpoint of Joe Biden is not president-elect right now. And on top of that, Joe Biden and his the people in political power on his side of the aisle I'm trying to not say Democrats because I, I believe there is a sharp contrast between the Democrat voter and the Democrat politician, even if the Democrat voter doesn't know it yet. But it's very important to not allow this. It's kind of like the slippery slope argument, but maybe in reverse a little bit. Um, the more we we establish credibility to President-elect Joe Biden, the more difficult it'll, difficult it'll be if, let's say... This election is reversed, and there is a lot of evidence coming out. You know, something I loved, I, I had a really hard laugh about it the other night. My wife looked at me like I was crazy, but I was reading an article about the, all of these people coming out, people within the USPS, people within the election system, ballot watchers, poll watchers who were refused because they're Republican. They weren't allowed to watch. There, there's so many just private citizens who are putting their face in front of a camera. They're not this faceless whistleblower that the left loves. They loved it when somebody would, would leak documents about the Trump administration, especially when they were going for impeachment. And these, when you wanted to see who's the whistleblower, it's like, no, 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 we got to protect this person. This is, they have whistleblowers' rights. You know, There's the fear of retribution, all this stuff. And yet when we have whistleblowers on the right, with a face, with a name, we know who they are. We know what they do for a living. They're staking their livelihoods. They're staking their their name, their reputation, their their careers, on this idea that the election was either stolen or there is mass voter fraud. And and again, another sharp contrast between two different mentalities that we'll get into. But something I did want to talk about is the statistical improbability of the results we're seeing for Biden. There's an article, I follow not the B, it's the Babylon B, which is a satire site. And then recently with all the, they're getting flagged for all this bull crap on Twitter and Facebook. So they, they started another page called not the P where they actually are sharing nonfiction, true stories or it, it's debatable, obviously if it's true or not, because truth apparently is subjective in today's world. But one of the articles they shared was from Steve Kortz, who is a, a senior advisor in Trump's 2020 campaign. And he did a four-part, four short videos on Twitter 
where he is breaking down the case that Biden won with the margin that he won and how he won. Because let's remember, going into, I, I think I stayed up till past two in the morning or something on election night, I went to sleep with President Trump ahead by a very significant margin in very key battleground states. He'd already won Florida. They were calling Arizona, obviously, way too early, but he had a lead there that was slowly diminishing as the mail-in ballots were coming in. And then, of course, Fox decided to call that for Joe Biden. Pennsylvania, Trump was ahead by a very good margin. And that's something that this guy, Steve Kortz, gets into is that with the the lead that Trump had on election night, and then once these mail-in ballots start coming in, all of a sudden, poll workers went home election night. And then when USBs and uh, votes are, are put into the, the electric systems, all of a sudden there's these just dumps for Biden. And it, it at least begs the question of, all right, let's look at the numbers here, right? Let's at least say, is it even possible? Because here's the thing. Uh, I think it was Steven Crowder. I'm not going to play the video because it's too long. But look it up. Steven Crowder from The Blaze started playing all these videos of like Rachel Maddow and um, oh, what's his name from CNN, Mr. Flamboyant, um, talking about the Dominion voting system in 2016, which let's again also remember, the left is still not acknowledged that Donald Trump won in 2016. Hillary Clinton said, no. He was an illegitimate president up until, I think, September of this year, she was saying that. So, forgive me, I get a little ticked off when when I hear people like uh, Whoopi Goldberg saying, you know what, get over it, suck it up, you lost. Um, Move on, that's their favorite phrase, move on. Well, no, I don't want to because, well, I'll let Steve say it, but one of the things that my brain has been stuck on is the fact that before mass mail-in voting, there was like a 3% you know, uh, average that those, th- those votes would get thrown out because there was issues with them. So roughly 3%, not a huge number. But then you throw in millions and millions, the largest mail-in voting election cycle we've ever had, obviously, due to COVID-19. Not only that, but also states like Nevada, who've never had mass mail-in voting before, had no infrastructure to handle this plethora of mail-in votes and yet we saw basically zero votes thrown out due to mail-in voting how is that possible in my mind it's just not there's an error there and so back to what i said before the sharp contrast between statistical and probability and then trying to prove that trump won there's it's two very different mentalities that I think are easily confused and merged together in the mainstream media. But I, for one, want to at least stake my position on the side of, look, there is obviously voter fraud. And in the year 2020, when we've got Elon Musk talking about having a little race car, an RC race on the surface of Mars very soon, you know, we've got rockets going up into space. And then the, what is it? The, um, Oh shoot, I can't remember the name for it, but they're 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 pulling back parts of it and they're landing on Earth to be reused. Forgive my brain for just completely screwing that up, but we've got all of this technology. We've got so much capability and yet we can't get our elections down. The fact that there would be even one vote cast fraudulently and it counts or one vote cast legitimately and it didn't count, it got thrown out for whatever reason, to me it's just wrong, it's unacceptable. And if we would at least devote as much energy to the elections system, the system of actually casting a vote, if we would devote as much time to that as we vote to the politics and the discussion and sensationalism of the political process, I think we'd be in a much different position today. And that's exactly what I believe many in power don't want to happen. They want these questions to be allowed because when there's questions, then there's room for error. And when there's room for error, there's room to manipulate that error in a beneficial way to you.
So, I mean, let's just get into it. This is uh, part one from Steve Kortz about the statistical case against a Biden win. Now, again, he's not saying that Biden lost. He's not saying that Trump won. He is saying that based on the data that we're seeing, it's very improbable that Biden won by the margin that he's winning by, that he was able to overcome how far he was down at the end of election night, purely off of mail-in ballots. So let's listen. Folks, I published an op-ed in the National Pulse about the statistical improbability of the Biden win. Now, I want to be clear here that the statistical case uh, is compelling, but it is not conclusive. It is circumstantial. What it does is points to the improbability of these results, and it demands that we thoroughly audit and investigate these results. Now, I give four reasons. I'm going to do four videos. The first one is turnout. Turnout was exceedingly high and in the places that Joe Biden needed it. Again, that defies logic. In Wisconsin, for example, statewide turnout was over 90%. To put that in context, the country of Australia, voting is mandatory. You get fined if you don't vote, and their turnout is only 92%. Within Wisconsin, Milwaukee was critical. Not surprisingly, that provided all, more than all, of the surplus for Biden in the state. He won Milwaukee by 145,000 votes. Turnout in Milwaukee was a stunning 84%. It's pretty hard to believe if you put it in comparison with another Midwestern city, similar demographics, similar size, Cleveland, turnout was only 51%. Are we really to believe that Milwaukee naturally had turnout that much higher than Cleveland? It really strains credibility. It demands further investigation. More. And so I like that. I like his approach because it is fact-based and it's just asking the question, which is all I believe anybody is saying right now that there are those that are all in that Trump won. And and I, I kind of discredit those people. Even Rudy Giuliani, many times I have to just say like, wow, oh, listen, you're, you're trying to prove that Trump won and I don't like that. Um, but then there are people who really are dedicated to the truth who are saying, listen, this, this at least demands questioning. The hard left would not even acknowledge that Trump was the president they, they impeached him, saying he was an illegitimate president because he had colluded with Russia. And what do we find out? We find out that, no, there was a Russian asset used, and it was used by the Democrats to fabricate a dossier that was used to justify a, a FISA warrant to spy on the Trump campaign. And so when you start following that trail, again, there are more questions to be asked. But what we're being told in today's world is, no, 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 don't ask those questions. Shut up. So now we can look at part two of the statistical case against a Biden win. Continuing on with the statistical case against Biden, the improbability that these results are valid. The second point of my op-ed is outperformance versus Obama. It is really quite stunning how much Joe Biden outperformed Obama, but only in the places that mattered in ballot. And, and keep in mind, Biden was, yes, obviously during COVID, so they weren't doing large rallies but the size of the trump rallies in the face of covid19 rivaled and even surpassed in many cases the size and magnitude and level of um, excitement at the obama rallies i mean obama was filling stadiums i mean he was the first black president he was he's a community organizer he's he was an eloquent speaker as biden pointed out that it was really surprising there was a black man who was so eloquent and clean uh biden's words not mine and and yet there, we were we're meant to believe that there was so much excitement for biden that he surpassed what obama did i don't know keep going in other words, we did not see this on a national basis, this kind of outperformance that we saw in a place like Montgomery County, which is outside of Philadelphia in Pennsylvania, a key, mostly swing county that leans slightly blue. In 2012, Obama got 233,000 votes in Montgomery County. But look at what happened this year for Biden. He got 313,000 votes in Montgomery County. He more than doubled Obama's margin of victory in Montgomery County. And by the way, population growth does not account for this. Uh, this the county only added 22,000 total residents between 2012 and 2020. Is it really possible that this lazy and doddering candidate, Joe Biden, was able to so massively outperform a politician with rock star appeal like Barack Obama? Again, it is a statistical anomaly that demands. So again, God, I, every time I watch this, I'm just like, dude, questions have to be asked about this. And 
it would be so much easier to get through this process if they're of, of, of asking these questions, of researching and looking into and, and investigating these these anomalies. It would be so much easier to do that if there wasn't so much resistance, if people would cooperate with that. Because, again, we went through two, three years of questioning the 2016 election. Now, yes, Donald Trump did take office, but there were so many people who would not even acknowledge that he was president still. And had that, if Donald Trump did to the Democrats what they did to him in 2016, they would they would say he's fear mongering that he's 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 trying to start a civil war. He's sowing discontent and sowing division, and yet they are the the far left is allowed to skate by with not accepting a peace. There was no peaceful transition of power in 2016. There was not. There was no acceptance of it. Anyways, that, that's just me. Part three. More data on the statistical case against Biden. The statistical improbability of the Biden win and the serious numerical, not my opinion, numerical anomalies that demand more investigation. Point number three, Biden only ballots, meaning people who voted for Joe Biden, but then did not vote down ticket, even in places that had hotly contested races. For example, Georgia. But first, let's look nationally 450,000 Biden-only tickets. That is by ballots. That is very, very suspicious. Let's look at the state of Georgia, the difference. President versus Senate. There are two... So real quick, if you're not exactly sure what that means, if you're not somebody who votes or, or whatever the case may be, I want to make sure that's not, that, that point is not missed, that there were 450,000, more than 450,000 votes nationally where Biden was the only check mark, all the down ticket, all the other positions, the, the Senate, House, local races, all of those were blank. Again, another very um, oh, eye-catching, I guess you could say, anomaly. That race is going on in Georgia, so a lot of interest there. Trump, this is the differential. Trump versus the combined Republican Senate vote. The differential was only 818 votes. Absolutely minimal, considering he got 2.4 million votes in total in Georgia. In other words, almost everyone who voted for Trump also voted down ticket, voted for the senators. Biden, though, a 95,000 vote differential. There were almost 96,000 people in Georgia, allegedly, who voted Biden only and then did not vote for Senate. And that is, uh, not only is it statistically improbable, it's Georgia, the Senate race in Georgia is do or die, essentially, for political power right now. Like, I, I've talked about it before in a previous episode, that the Republicans need to win both of those contested seats. They're going into a runoff, which I think is scheduled for later in December. Uh, I think December 7th was the deadline to... Uh, register. You have to re-register in Georgia to vote in the runoff. So it, it's very imperative. Th those Senate seats are very, very important. And and so with as much, you know, get out, rock the vote, whatever stuff was going on for the presidency, I just, I can't believe that that same effort wasn't also said like, no, don't only vote for Biden. You need to vote Democrat down ticket. And it, on, on many voting machines, I didn't see it this year on the ones here in Texas, but Previously, there, there's usually a button that says, you know, you can either go each race individually and say, okay, there's this person running Democrat, this person running Republican, this person running Libertarian, whatever, and you make your choice. But there's usually a button saying, vote straight red or straight Republican down ticket. Um, so it's not like it's very hard to do in many cases. I'm not sure exactly what the how, what their setup is in Georgia, but I have to imagine if there was this mass mobilization, the largest election we've ever seen as far as individual votes go, <clears throat> that it would have been lost on those organizers to say, hey, don't just vote for the president. We need you to vote Democrat all the way down ticket. So another anomaly that's just very hard for me to believe. Here's the last one, and then we'll we'll move on. Folks, my fourth point of the statistical case against Biden, laying out the, by the numbers, the improbability of the results as we are told to accept them right now. These results demand further investigation and audit because, in part, because of this improbability. Let's consider my fourth point, which is the absence of actual vetting of mail-in vote. In states like Pennsylvania, where the government governor changed the rules by himself, unilaterally, 
unconstitutionally and illegally decided election procedures, knowing full well that there would be such a mass of mailed-in ballots that there would be no way that election officials could properly vet the legality and validity of these votes. So what happened in Pennsylvania? And that's an important point because there are there were stacks, there were trucks that came in of perfect ballots. And what does that mean? Well, if you've got a mail-in ballot, you, that means you have to mail it in, right? You don't just put a piece, a stamp on a piece of paper. You fold it up, you put it into the envelope. I think there's a one or two layers of envelopes uh, before you actually get to the ballot. So where did all these uncreased ballots come from? I don't know. Again, another question that should be investigated, and they, I, I would hope, would be investigated, and um, these states wouldn't block looking at it. Although I think Georgia is saying, no, you can't verify signatures. And ugh, that's another case. Sorry. Continue, Steve. Yeah. The rejection rate of mailed-in ballots was only 0.03%. Okay. Now that is one thirtieth of the normal rate in the state of Pennsylvania. And mind you, for first-time voters, for first-time voters, the typical failure rate is 3%. So 100 times higher than the rejection rate in Pennsylvania. New York, right next door, when they went to large-scale mail-in voting for their primary, they had a rejection rate of 21%. That is 700 times, 700 times higher than what we saw in Pennsylvania. The point here is that very, very likely, many, many, perhaps thousands, tens of thousands of these ballots in Pennsylvania are not valid, are not legitimate, but they were not scrutinized. This is another statistical reason for us to seriously audit and review. Thank you, Steve. Um, so that that was a point I made earlier. And, and uh, carrying on with that idea, um, I saw a report the other day in um, Arizona. The Trump team had successfully gotten local election officials to do a recount of a small subset of their mail-in ballots. And the percentage, I want to say it was like 9% or something like that, of that subset was found to be illegitimate votes, whether it was people not uh, registered in the state, they'd moved, or in many cases, there are people who, um, oh, I'm sorry, uh, maiden names. So you, you got married in another state, your maiden name, you were registered in your previous state. They were able to use that maiden name to cast a vote for you in your previous state. And it didn't show up as a duplicate because you have a name change in another state. There are many cases of that, dead people voting. Um, it's There's so much fraud. And again, that takes me back to the point, why are, am I supposed to believe that all of a sudden, with all these mail-in votes and the largest um, quantity of votes in an election year ever, why am I supposed to believe that it was the cleanest? It, it just it doesn't make any sense. So uh, if you're interested in that, his name is Steve Quartz. I'm sure you can go straight to his Twitter, but um, just for the shout out or the hat tip, I'm looking at not the bee. And um, man, they, there's some compelling stuff here. Before I move on, there is an article. I'm not going to go into in depth on it because we kind of just did. But Daniel Horowitz at The Blaze, he does some insanely just in-depth analysis of these different issues and so he he's discussing here how there's again the 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 percentages of mail-in ballots that were favorable to biden is just a statistical it's kind to say improbability many people are saying impossibility but something else that he does get into is this idea of the signature validation and validating these mail-in votes um, going to the uh, according to the 2016 I'm, I'm quoting the article here according to the 2016 election administration and voting survey there's a link there to the actual survey another important idea I've brought up before but according to that election administration and voting survey the, the rejection rate last election 2016 was just a tad under one percent in Pennsylvania even though there were only 266,000 mail-in votes, which are mainly those who have experience filling out absentee ballots. This year, with 200, sorry, 2.6 million mail-in votes, consisting primarily of first-time voters, we are to believe that just 0.038% were invalid. End quote. That, 
to me, it just doesn't make any sense. So again, nobody's saying that Trump won, Biden lost, but we are saying that there are votes that were counted that should not have been, and there are votes that were not counted that should have been. And that just, it presents more questions. So we need to ask those questions. And before I move on, in that case of Arizona, where they were the Trump team was allowed that subset of a recount, if they carried forward this, the, the stats that were pulled from that sub subset of how many votes were, were rejected at the recount, if you carried that forward to the rest of the votes for the rest of the election in the state, Donald Trump wins heftily. So I don't know. None of us know right now at this point. It's still in the courts. But um, man, this, the mountain cedar just blew in like crazy this week here in Texas. So I'm going to speed through the rest of this because my voice is about to go out. Um, I do want to point you to Black Lives Matter. There's a lot, On Twitter, there's a lot of sub chapters that raise money for their local groups. And primarily, those are the people within their communities who want to positively affect their local communities. It's good stuff. But then there's Black Lives Matter International, which is not a 501c3. They are an in, they're a corporation, and a lot of money was given to them. Many celebrities gave millions of dollars to Black Lives Matter International, and the local chapters are saying, listen, they are not representing us. They are keeping that money, and they are not giving it to these local chapters who are actually trying to benefit local communities. And so they are saying, stop donating to Black Lives Matter International, a.k.a. Black Lives Matter Incorporated. Start donating to the local chapters. And that is something that I think I talked about in one of the first episodes of this podcast a whole nine episodes ago. But that Black Lives Matter, if you go to donate, it was essentially directing you to Joe Biden's camp campaign. And I was just, I, I remember saying to somebody, I want to, I wish we could track these millions of dollars. I'm sure somebody somewhere is, but I want to see where this money is going to. I would love to to see if some of this money is just not even landing in the hands of small chapters. People weren't really bailed out of jail for protesting. It went somewhere. Um, and I have a very strong feeling that it's paying for Biden's lawyers right now. Um, but let's leave that uh, in the past as far as this episode's concerned. Before we head out, I want to encourage you to pray with me, to pray for truth. I don't know how many times I can say it, but I feel like it's never going to be enough that we can't be praying for a particular outcome. And I don't know where you stand as far as your faith goes, but I'm going to make it very clear here where I stand that even from the time I was a kid, there were times I wanted something to happen so badly. I was going to this private school and I hated it. I went there for three years. Day one, I just, I couldn't stand the place. Um, I've always been a pretty good kid, but I said the word crap one time. And from then on, I was just the rebel. Everybody saw me as the rebel. I had teachers call me out and say, listen, I, I need you to not be so much of a rebel because everybody's uh, following you and, and everybody. There's like four of us. Um, it was one step above just being at homeschooled as far as the, the type of people that were there. And I hated it. There was no sports, um, how to wear uniforms. And to this day, I hate tucking my shirt in. I hate wearing pants. Uh, as far as jeans go, um, I'm currently wearing pants in the form of shorts. Um, I hated it. And I remember praying back then. It was a Christian school. And um, I, I was raised uh, in the Christian faith very strongly. And I, I believe that our prayers are heard. And I remember, remember praying back then for months and months and months. God, take me out of here. I hate it here. And then I don't know if it was my pastor or Sunday school or something. But I remember being having the idea impressed upon me that we're not to pray for what we want. We're, you know, thy will be done. Jesus taught us how to pray. And in his prayer, it is thy will be done. We recognize God's power. We recognize the things he's done for us. And then when we pray for the things we want, yes, the Bible says, ask and you shall receive. It doesn't say what you'll receive, but we are to pray for the will of God to be done because in the end, if we believe in an all-powerful, all-knowing God, well, he must know more than I do what would best benefit me and my family in the long term. We're so short-sighted sometimes. And so I remember praying at the end of uh, my third year there, towards the end of my third year there, eighth grade, about to head into high school. I remember praying, God, you know, if I'm supposed to be here, if this is what I'm supposed to do, then whatever, you know, fine. I'll stay here, but just 
give at least give me a reason, give me some why to being here to where I can find a way to enjoy it, you know? Um, and around that time, I remember it being just a matter of days, maybe a couple of weeks later, my parents told me, Hey, we're pulling you out of the Christian school. We're sending you to, pri- to public school so you can do sports and all that stuff. And I remember sitting there, it was just one of those moments. And I was like, I felt like God really did hear me. And he, he, he answered my prayer. And I think he acknowledged, I, I believe this in my heart. So, you know, do with it what you will. But I believe that God rewarded me for at least being willing to accept that his will was not mine. It didn't match my own. And I think that that um, had an effect. It's something that's stuck with me all this time. And it, sometimes it's difficult. You know, you got a family member with cancer and it's like, how do you pray for God's will? How do you not pray, God, heal this person? This is a good person. This is a person with many, many, many years left. How do you not pray for God to heal that person? And there are times where it was really difficult, but I remember sitting on the couch with my wife about to eat dinner and we would pray for the will of God to be done. And miracles have happened this year. And I can't impress upon you enough that when you're praying and you're praying for God's will, part of praying for God's will, you know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And so if you're praying for God's will, I think there's the the equivalent of that would be to pray for truth. And so through this election process, as we're going through, we're going to find out who's going to take the White House and who's going to leave it. And while we're praying for certain things to to come about, I try to force myself and and I would impress upon you that if you're praying, don't pray for Biden to win or don't pray for Trump to win or for Trump to lose. Pray for truth. Pray for the truth to come out and the truth will win. And so especially if you're on... um, the competing or the opposing side of maybe what I believe. Maybe you do believe that um, Biden won legitimately. I just, I, I'm pleading with you to be open to the idea that Biden, maybe unknowingly, the Democrats cheated. It's possible, right? It, it, it's certainly not impossible if you believe the Republicans might have been capable of cheating, colluding with the Russians in 2016. Well, then, with many of the same voting computers still in use, the Dominion voting system. They were saying back then how the Russians could have infiltrated that Dominion voting system and altered the vote for Trump. If you believe it was possible back then, you've got to believe that it's possible in today's world because we're only four years in the future, right? Not much has changed. So at least be open to the idea that, hey, maybe the Democrats are a bunch of a-holes, just like you may believe the Republicans are a bunch of a-holes. And so I can honestly say that in 2016, I was open to the idea that Trump cheated. I didn't like Trump, as I, I said just a few minutes ago, that I didn't vote for him, did not like him. I voted third party. Um, I was open to the idea that he cheated, not because there was all this evidence, but the fact that we did not know. And there were serious questions being raised, like, all right, fine, let's let's have the hearings, let's, let's hash it out, let's see what happened. I'll be the first in line to to say I, I, I want Trump out of office if we can prove that he cheated. So many big names put their name on the line in 2016, mostly celebrities who can bounce back pretty easily, but Democrat politicians uh, to this day have not acknowledged um, that Trump legitimately won. But with so many people saying he cheated, I'm like, well, maybe he did. But here in 2020, we have big private names, people, just everyday people coming out and saying that they have this evidence of at least irregularities. And they're staking so much on their position, on what they say they witnessed, what the truth is. They're staking everything on it, and I think they deserve to be heard. Even if it doesn't overturn the election, I don't care about that. If there is one vote cast illegitimately, I want to find out who did it and who approved that vote. And I want them fired, barred from ever participating in the election again. In many cases, they, I, I wouldn't mind seeing some prison time for some people who um, doing some ballot harvesting and things. The goal is not to prove Trump won. If you're praying for truth, you're not praying for Trump to win. You're praying that if there is fraud, then it should be rooted out like a cancer. And on that just joyous, happy note, that's where I'll leave you. Um, I do encourage you to be as I always say, kind to one another, especially on social media. The best way to make your case as a sane, rational American who just wants the truth to come out 
is to say that and to act that way. And I'm speaking to myself as well. You know, I follow Joe Biden on Facebook for just usually just so I control people. Sometimes it's fun. Other times I realize, you know, I'm not really doing anything good here. I'm not making a difference. If anything, I'm just pushing the left further and further left. When somebody is having a bad day or whatever, and they see my snarky comment or my laugh, laughing reaction, maybe it does make a difference in their life. I don't know, but I don't want to risk it anymore. I want to be positive and I want to be kind to the people that I interact with. And I would like to, I'd like to believe that as the older population leaves power and leaves influence and the millennial generation comes in, I would like to see us go down a different path than the generation before us. And it it starts with each one of us. I was talking to a friend the other day and I'm pretty much done here. I was talking to a friend the other day on Facebook Messenger, and he was just so, just accepting the fact that our country is over, you know, just not because Biden won, but because the election was stolen and all this stuff. And I'm just like, no, listen, let's say it was stolen. Let's say the, our worst fears are alive and well right now. Um, there's There's got to be a, a group of people that are still willing to carry on the fight and like I said in uh, the hero uh, episode, the hero generation, um, I think it's it's incumbent upon us, whether we're Democrat, Republican, conservative, progressive, whatever, to use our own voice and stop outsourcing that rage to bigger voices, more sensationalized voices, because those it's easy to insert politics into their voices. But if it's just you and me talking, we can give benefit of the doubt to each other. We can feed off of each other's emotions and backgrounds and, and whatever it is. And in the end, that's what matters. What matters is that we're here discussing these ideas together, American to American, not politician relaying information to voters. So again, with that, just take take that and do what you will with it. Um, I would encourage you to start finding ways to either do a podcast or a blog or I don't, I don't care, write a book. You know, you can self-publish a book and it might have some spelling errors in it. I don't know because you can't afford editing. I can't afford editing. But say you put a book out there and let's say it affects five people. Well, that, that's, a, that's an amazing thing that you've just done. So figure out what your voice is, solidify it in your own mind, decide what your principles are, and then relay that to the people within your personal network and make a positive change. Even if your positive change doesn't necessarily help me politically, as far as the people that I would support politically, I don't care about that. I want a, a grassroots roots movement of every ideology in this country. I'm tired of seeing politicians use their words and, and not even care if it reflects what the American people are feeling. So yeah, I'm gonna get off my high horse. I'm gonna rest my throat. Uh, this, uh, the allergies are killing me today, but, uh, be kind to each other, be positive. Um, have a good weekend rest, take a rest from the news cycle and then hit the ground running on Monday, make some positive changes in your life and, um, help somebody out. Uh, somebody in your family needs help moving or somebody needs a babysitter or whatever it is. Find a way to be, to be a light in somebody else's life. And I promise you, I guarantee you, you will feel better about your own life and you will be less negative about the world in general. So take care. Thanks for listening to the Point B Podcast. I'll see you all next time.